If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. We are making our way through a brief uh, three-week sermon series on our life together as a church family. So last week we looked at what it means for us to gather together and worship each week. This week we are looking at what it means for us to grow together in the life of the church together as a, as a faith family and as ones who are even responsible or covenanted together to work towards and to pursue one another's growth in the faith. And then next week we'll look at our responsibility in our uh, evangelism and in our uh, missions and making the gospel known both locally as well as broadly uh, to the ends of the earth. So uh, that's kind of where we are and that's, that's where we're going. Uh, and so today as we look at our and we consider our responsibility to grow together, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16. So the, the words to that passage are, obviously they're in your Bible or uh, if uh, you don't have a Bible with you, they are available for you in your bulletin that you hopefully received when you arrived and uh, that will uh, encourage you to follow along closely as we make our way through God's Word. If you're unfamiliar with God's Word, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, when you open it up and you see... Um, Larger numbers on a page, those are chapter numbers, and then smaller numbers are verse numbers. And so if you're fairly new to the Bible and you're trying to navigate your way through it, uh, we want to help you to be able to do so. And uh, that's just one way that helps you to be able to understand whenever somebody talks about a chapter and a verse, that's, uh, that's what's happening there. The chapter numbers are larger, the verse numbers are smaller. But let's, uh, let's open our time together, uh, exploring, examining, making our way through this passage. Let's first open our time together by asking God's hand to be upon us and his uh, work to be evident in us as we look at his word. So let's pray. God, as we open your word and we see our responsibility to grow together, we ask that you would give us insight to your word that is uh, powerful, that is good, that is gracious, that is a gift to us, and that we may see our responsibility in growing together and even being gifts to one another in our church body. Lord, we need one another. We don't need one another's condescending uh, uh, stare-downs. We don't need one another's uh, snarky remarks, but we need one another's love and grace and gentleness and kindness in building up one another in the faith. There is enough uh, distaste and disdain and disagreement in the world outside of us. Uh, we don't need um, dissension or division in our midst, Lord. So would you help us to grow together? as we examine your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this day and age of the 24-7 news cycle, uh, it is possible uh, for you to easily miss some of the big things that are going on in our world. Uh, and so what I'm about to share with you, some of you may have heard of this, but I imagine many of you have not. Uh, and that is that this week, um, there was the, a, a proposal uh, was made by a rich billionaire investor and some of his rich billionaire friends to build a city called uh, Tulasa somewhere out in the American West Desert. Uh, and the city is uh, estimated to cost some $400 billion. And the goal of it is to build this uh, environmentally friendly, uh, economically sustainable uh, new city that can house uh, at its completion uh, 5 million people and it'll take about 40 years to build. And so it's pitched as having the cleanliness of Tokyo. Uh, it's going to have the diversity of New York and the social services of Stockholm. 
It promises eco-friendly architectural architecture, sustainable energy, drought-resistant water systems, uh, and perhaps the best system, at least as I understood it, or the best feature of the city as I was reading through about it, was that it somehow promises a 15-minute uh, system that will allow residents in the city to get to work, to school, to entertainment, to leisure activities, anywhere you need to get in the city within 15 minutes or less. Now that sounds kind of appealing, right? Uh, it, it, one of the other uh, interesting things about it is that it is being pitched as a new model for society based on telos from Aristotle, which is an inherent, uh, an inherent, an inherent, excuse me, or higher purpose. It promises to be a new way of doing life together, a new world, a new city, whereby a new experience of the human experiment can be enjoyed. I read over this, and if I'm honest with you, even as I described it to you, perhaps some of you uh, found this to be quite fascinating or intriguing, but some of you may have responded like I did when I first read it, and I thought, man, that is going to be a big waste of money. Because what, no matter how noble the design, no matter how noble the intention, you can't build a new city and fix the human condition. You can't build a new city and cause everyone to all of a sudden start to get along. We've heard politicians make these promises before. We've heard uh, even pastors make such promises. In fact, one of the things we're going to look at today is our responsibility to grow together in unity and love for one another. But what we're going to see is that that cannot be bought. It cannot be built. It cannot be manufactured, no matter how many hundreds of billions of dollars we have to throw at the problem. But it's actually born out of something far deeper. And yet when it is born, and it, it is not coerced, but it is born in us, it is then that this new society grows within us in the church. And so here's what I mean. The blueprint for relationships that are unexplainable in the eyes of the world, relationships of love and generosity and kindness and humility and gentleness towards one another, the blueprint is not found in anything that can be planned outside of us to bring to us. But it is found in the work of God in giving us new birth through Christ. And so as we consider our responsibility as a society of people, we might not have $400 billion and we might have a building that isn't brand new but is 150 years old, but our responsibility in being a society of people, a citizenship of the kingdom of God, is in many ways to model what is being desired with Telassa. But we have the secret sauce. We have the mysterious hand of God that is at work in His people as He has brought us from spiritual death to life. And so what I want to hold before you in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1-16 through 16 is the following uh, argument, the following thing that I'm going to present to us from this passage. And that is that we must take hold of all that we have in Christ to grow towards unity and love for one another. Let me say that again. We must take hold of all that we have in Christ to grow towards unity in love for one another. So it's what we have in Christ, and then what Christ does is He reigns over us in our growth, and what Christ gives us for our growth. So first, in verses 1-6, through six, we're going to see the manner by which we grow in unity through love for one another. 
fact, let me read the whole passage, though. Let me read Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16, and you follow along, and you'll see the train of thought that the Apostle Paul is getting at as he writes this letter. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, he writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working together, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God write the truths of his word upon our hearts. First, let's see our growth in unity through love for one another. In verse 1, Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, So whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, it's a good practice to say, what is that therefore, therefore? What is he saying? And so what has been happening in the book of Ephesians up to this point, we're diving in, having not been making our way slowly through it, but diving in midway through. In chapters 1 through 3, the Apostle Paul has been articulating the wonders of the gospel message by which people who were once dead in their sins, who once had no use for God, no no purpose for God in their lives, no, un, no true understanding or experience of God and His power at work in them. Maybe they had a functional religiosity, but they did not know God experientially. They did not know God as one who had given them new life. And yet, God had given them new life. He had given them new birth. And He had even brought together people who, some were of uh, is, Israelite background or Jewish background, and some who were of Gentile or non-Jewish background. And He had brought them all together to build this beautiful, wonderful household of faith that is far more glorious, far more impressive, far more uh, uh, unbelievable than even a magnificent city of the future built in the desert. And he had brought them together as a household of faith. And so the illustration, the language here is one that we as a church, we have all been brought together, those of us who are Christians, we've been brought together by virtue of Jesus Christ's work in us, in which we have been brought together in a manner by which Uh, the things that would previously divide us ought to drown out and the thing that unites us, which is our new life in Jesus Christ, ought to rise to the surface. So in gathering as a church, we are not Republicans and Democrats. We are not Red Sox and Yankees. We are not Jews and Gentiles. We are not uh, 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 residents of one town or another. We are not uh, rich or poor. We are not black or white. We are not anything else that we would think might unite us with others 
different uh, from, or, or in ways in which the world might see it, but we are actually all united by virtue of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is one thing that makes the gathering of the church so fascinating and the, and the family of the church so beautiful is that two people who would, in the eyes of the world would have nothing in common actually have far more in common than, than anyone would realize because they are both redeemed individuals made new by the precious gift of Jesus Christ and dying for their sins and making them new together, making them brother and sister in the faith. So the Apostle Paul writing, therefore, says, because of the power of the gospel whereby you've been brought together in the faith, I give you these instructions. I give you this exhortation towards growing in the faith. And this is a matter of great seriousness to Paul to the point where he was imprisoned for this faith that he professed, this faith that he taught, this faith that he sought to... Uh, 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 sought to... Sought to dig deeply into the church in Ephesus. And so he's willing to give his life for it as a prisoner for the name of Jesus Christ. And so he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, it's interesting I read these first three verses, and I first see this, and I say, this, yeah, th- I, this makes sense of how this has to be born in the lives of Christians who have, who, have, um, who, who have been supernaturally made alive by virtue of God's work in them through Jesus Christ. This cannot be done in those of us who are not Christians, those of us who, who um, do not know this powerful work of the Spirit of God in their life. And here's what I mean. You read through this language, and some of this is just frankly impossible apart from a new heart. So he urges them to walk worthy of the calling to which they have been called. That's this calling of the faith in Jesus Christ. But then there are some words in here that are quite difficult. They're easy words to understand, but they're quite difficult to apply. Look at this. Verse 2. How difficult is that word all? Right? With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. I'm pretty good at being humble. Write that down. Stephen is pretty good at being humble. I'm pretty good at being humble when I'm having a good day or when I don't have any personal grievance or anything that's bothering me or gnawing at me. I'm not real good at being humble when everything that day has gone poorly. I'm not real good at being gentle when everything that day has been just kind of frustrating me. And driving me crazy. And yet Paul says that we are to conduct ourselves in a manner with all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. He doesn't say bearing with one another because you have to. He says bearing with one another in love. And he's implying because of God's work in you. You recognize how this is easy to read and hard to apply? It can only be done by virtue of God's grace at work within us. And so the question I want to ask ourselves is we consider perhaps you are a fairly new Christian or perhaps you consider yourself pretty far along in the Christian faith. You might say, I've been a Christian for decades and decades and decades and decades. Do you know the measure of your maturity in the faith is not found in the number of, uh, number of days on the calendar since you became a Christian, but is found in the measure of your growth and how you treat and interact with other people in the faith. 
It is possible for somebody to be a Hebrew scholar, a Greek scholar, to be a scholar in systematic and biblical theology, to be a scholar in philosophy and all sorts of other uh, sciences of, of the mind, and yet to be, for as strong as they consider themselves intellectually, to be an absolute infant when it comes to the growth in the faith. And so maybe you're a fairly new Christian and you say, ah, gosh, I don't know where half of the books of the Bible are in my Bible. I don't, I, I don't have any scripture memorized. I've, I've, I've done like one Bible study in my life. I don't remember getting a lot out of it or anything like that. But you would say, but I want to grow in humility and I want to grow in gentleness and I want to grow in love towards others in the faith. Paul would say you're farther along than those who might know a lot more intellectually and yet might be hindered by their pride or might be hindered by their arrogance. So brothers and sisters, what Paul lifts up before us and our responsibilities to one another in the faith is not a faith that grows intellectually apart from relationally, but a faith that grows and the measure of its growth is judged by how we react to or how we relate to and interact with one another in the body. The health of a church family is not found in how much she gives each week. The health of a church family is not found in great numbers in attendance. The health of a church family is found in how well they love one another. And so when Paul says, with all humility, with gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and then another word that makes this all the more difficult for us to understand or apply is in verse 3, eager. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Sometimes we go through life, and we even go through relationships in the church, more like children who are bickering with one another as riding in the back seat of the car, and mom or dad has to turn back and say, look, I don't care who started it, don't touch each other again. And we kind of have to go through that kind of relationship with one another in the faith, where it's like, okay, put your, uh, uh, lower the tension and just try to get along. But Paul holds up for us, that's not how we ought to do life with one another. Paul, Paul holds up for us that we ought to pursue eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit in this bond of peace that we walk together. And so, this might sound quite out of ordinary for you. This might sound even impossible for you. Let me hold up before you, if you are not a Christian... One thing that we see from all of Scripture, but we see particularly here in Ephesians 4, is that the demands that God makes upon our lives in regards to our conduct towards one another cannot be, cannot be met apart from first meeting Christ. Cannot be, we, we cannot grow in peace and humility and gentleness and kindness towards one another until our hearts are changed by the one who has pursued us in His peaceableness, kindness, gentleness, humility, love, and grace, and even the sacrifice of His life for our sins. And so, brothers and sisters, the great way that we grow together in the faith is by setting our eyes and our hearts upon Jesus Christ and asking for His grace and growing in our heart towards one another. God, give me the heart towards your church that you have for your church. And, and heaven help us if we be a people who, who, who frequently ask for God's forgiveness for our own sins, yet we'd be, we'd be slow to extend forgiveness and mercy and kindness towards one another in the faith. Sometimes we want to drink from the well of God's grace towards us, but when someone else needs to drink from the well of our grace towards them, we would be slow to or we would even turn off the spigot of that water. 
But no, Ephesians 4 shows us that our responsibility is to be a people who lavish grace and peace towards each other in the faith because that is evidence that we understand the grace and peace that has come to us through Christ. So we have this responsibility to grow in unity and love for one another, but we also have not only responsibility, but we have a hope that is our strength whereby we do this. In verse 4 he says, There is one body and, and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Recently, I was having a conversation with a non-Christian friend of mine. And as this individual and I were talking, I said to this person, I said to them, or we were talking about faith and doubt and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And is it possible that we're all wrong on this Christianity thing? And one thing I said to this individual is I said to him, I said, you know, there are, there are answers that the Bible does not provide for a number of issues. The Bible is not an all-encompassing guide. The Bible does not teach us algebra. The Bible does not teach us chemistry. The Bible does not teach us uh, world history apart from events related to the redeemed people of God as we see stretching out in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what the Bible does show us that gives me conviction that this Christianity thing is true is the manner by which the Bible unequivocally, unwaveringly, clearly, precisely, with the, the hand of a skilled doctor, diagnoses the disease of our own heart. You see, what the Bible does is it very clearly and revealingly exposes the fallenness of the human condition. Where some people think they can throw billions of dollars and build a city and that's going to fix the human condition, the Bible holds before us know that we need a deeper solution. We don't need new buildings, we need new hearts. We don't need to turn over a new leaf. We need to be made new by the supernatural power of God bringing us to new life. And so this is one thing that Paul's getting at here. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. There is one means whereby God brings people to new birth, and that is through the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying all of you in the church, you have all been drinking from this same cup of God's grace. Therefore, let it flow through you, and then let this cup of God's grace be the means by which you interact, to, interact with and relate to one another. And in fact, he would go on to say, he would go on to say that our growth in unity through love for one another is found and grounded in Christ's reign over us. Our hope for loving one another in the church family our hope for loving those, not just that it's easy to love, but those whom it's difficult to love, is not just, in fact, set your minds on this, this is wild. It's not just, in fact, that we look upon Christ and we say, wow, Jesus died on the cross for others, so I need to be more thoughtful or more sensitive to the needs of other people around me. No, that's part of it, but it's also the fact that God in Christ not only died for us, but He reigns over us even now today. And so therefore, Jesus Christ as our divine general, as the one who is the Lord of our faith who commissions us for our responsibilities and our obligations to walk alongside of one another in the faith. He equips us with all that we need to grow in the faith. And so let this be your hope as you read these terms and you think, okay, I am not very gentle. I am not very humble. I am not very kind. I, I am not very patient with others who frustrate me. And you say, is that just who I am? I don't know how to get better than this. I don't know how to grow in this. No, the Apostle Paul tells you, you don't have the option of saying, that's just who I am. 
The Apostle Paul says to all of us, he says to us, that is who you are, but it is not who God is making you into to be. And so God in Jesus Christ is, dis, is, is dispensing and giving gifts to us whereby we grow together in the faith. Whereby He is not leading, leaving us where we are, but He is taking us on a journey to where He would have us to be. And so look at this. Look at this. As He reigns over us, and He reigns over our growth in verses 7-10. through 10, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he's quoting here from Psalm 68, verse 18, when he, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. So here's what's happening. Pause here. This is really wild. It, it's, it's quite fascinating. The Apostle Paul is quoting from the book of Psalms, and in the book of Psalms, this passage is written to describe a victorious king who, when, when he uh, proves himself victorious and wins the battle and is brought to his throne, and people uh, who who serve in His kingdom and who serve at His mercy and serve at His discretion, they bring to Him gifts celebrating His conquest, celebrating His great strength, making much of the great King and all that He has accomplished. But what Paul says is Jesus Christ in His victory over death, He does not just sit there and us come before Him and bring Him gifts. We give Him our praise, we give Him our worship, we give Him our very hearts. Don't get me wrong. But He doesn't sit there and just receive. He sits there in His reign on His throne and He dispenses and He lavishes gifts upon us so that He might make us into who He would have us to be. And so when Paul says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men, He describes a little more explanation of this in verse 9 and 10. He says, in saying He ascended, describing Jesus, what does it mean? But that He had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. This is talking about His incarnation, His coming, His birth, His life on earth, uh, His his human flesh, His walking through life uh, as a human, fully 100% man, living life in this hard, difficult world. He had descended to the, to the lower parts of the earth. But now in verse 10 it says, He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens that He might fill all things. And so He who has come and known the human condition like you or I do. He who has come and even found it difficult perhaps or, or found and related to difficult people in His life. He is the one who, dist- uh, who, who gives us the gifts that we need to grow in our love for one another in the church body. The God who reigns over us and who sits on the throne of heaven and cares for us and promises to lavish upon us every single thing that we need to love one another refuses to leave us in a point or in a place where we would find, it dif- where we would find ourselves saying or thinking, you know... I really like my church, but I have a hard time with this person because I don't know how they voted. Or I have inclinations to think they voted this way. Or he would leave us, or he does not leave us at a point where we have the opportunity or the right to say, you know, I really like my church, but I have a really hard time with this person or this person and how they view or how they're approaching this whole COVID crisis. I disagree with them. They're either taking it too seriously or they're not taking it seriously enough. And that really, really, really grinds my gears. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that no matter where we might come from, we cannot muster up the excuses that we would say that would take us too far for the reach of God's grace and His mercy lavished upon us in how we would love and show mercy and grace to others in the church family. And so let me ask you a question. As we consider Jesus Christ reigning on His throne in the manner by which He gives gifts to His church, What are the gifts you ask for from God? 
What are the gifts I ask for from God? As I wrote this sermon, I, I was struck by this in my own heart. The things I pray for, well, let me just say, I don't initially oftentimes pray that God would grow me in love and peace and gentleness towards others. You are a lovely church body. It is an honor to be your pastor, but sometimes I am slow to pray for those things in my heart towards our church. I think, oh God, I'm having a bad day. I need help navigating through this situation. Or God, I've heard this terrible news about this person who has gotten sick, and, and Lord, I really need you to bring them healing. Or God, I'm facing this question of financial uncertainty, or I don't know how we're going to pay this bill, or I don't know how we're going to do this. God, I, I would really like it if you'd provide for this and make this happen. These are good prayers. But they are not good prayers if they are our only prayers. Here's the thing I want you to think about. This is, this is deep, and I'll even say it's profound. Like I said, I'm humble. So I can say this. Our prayer life and our attitude towards God in prayer either reveals how we want to make God into what we want Him to be or our humility and willingness to allow God to make us into what He is making us to be. Is your attitude in prayer trying to make God into what you want Him to be or allowing and humbly submitting yourself before God so that He can make you what He would have you to be? See, that's good, right? Allow that to shape your prayers over the course of this week. Now, another thing for us to consider as we consider what God would call us to in the life of the church, and we would even consider my own humility, is we've got to consider, okay, what are these gifts that God gives to His church? It's kind of easy to say they're gifts. Okay, what are these gifts that God gives that would help me to grow in my attitude towards others in the church body and in my humility and my patience and my long-suffering with others in the church body. But we talk of these gifts, but they sound kind of nebulous. Maybe they're little gifts under the Christmas tree that are wrapped, but we don't know what's in them. So Stephen, unwrap the gift and show us what this gift is that will help us grow in our love for and humility towards others. Well, let's take a look. Verse 11, describing the gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers... To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You want to know what the gift is that Paul is describing here? It's me. It's me. It's pastors. It's teachers. I expected kind of a laugh there, but that's okay. In all seriousness, in all seriousness, Paul is saying that God gives those who are in spiritual authority over us to the church body, not to domineer, not to abuse or take advantage of, but to work and share and partner with you and alongside of you for your growth in the faith. This is a solemn responsibility that our elders and myself take and our responsibility to helping the church grow into Paul, what Paul's language here is, into mature manhood. When we pray for our church family, week by week, we don't pray. We pray for specific tangible needs that someone may be facing. When in our elders' meetings, we walk through our church membership, and we pray for a third of our membership every single meeting. It takes a good amount of our time. And we don't pray that God would... Um, we don't pray only that God would help a church member who maybe they're walking through an uncertain job situation. We pray for that. 
But we also pray that God would help them to grow in the grace that they need to mature in the faith. And we pray this for ourselves as well. And so, brothers and sisters, every week as I shepherd you or as others shepherd in preaching God's word, we don't just shepherd to pat you on the back and to to help you to get through another week. We shepherd that we might grow through God's word, that we might grow in this humility and in this love and this affection for one another in the body. And so may we all have an attitude to submit ourselves under the spiritual leadership of of those whom God has given to us that we might grow in, in, in understanding of and experience of and application of the wonderful grace of God as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you see what Paul's working at here. He doesn't just give the gifts of those who would be spiritual authorities, but he gives the gift of one another. Look at verse 12. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Our job as pastors, as elders, is not to feed you and keep you as perpetual three-year-olds who are reliant upon us for all your food, for all your nourishment, for all of everything. Spiritually, that is. Our job is to help the church body to grow in the faith, to help the church body until we um, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So our job is to equip you that as you grow, that as our church grows, that we may serve one another. And so what we're getting at, I made a joke about it earlier about me being a gift to our church. But the truth of what Paul is laying out here and our responsibility to grow together is that as we grow in the faith, uh, and as we are equipped for ministry, then, then, then we all become gifts to one another in the body. Have you ever considered the need by which others in the church body have for you? I'm not saying the needs they have for your financial giving. I'm not saying the needs they have for, for, for uh, that, which you can, that which you can perhaps give to them. I'm saying the need that they have for you to meet them in grace-filled love and graciousness and, and meet them with, with the, 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 the smile of God that He would give to them through your love, through your care, through your prayers, through your walking alongside of them in a difficult situation or difficult trial. God has given us one another. We do not come together together as the body, as, as, as ones who are like attending a movie where we come and sit in our seats and then leave, and then we do it again and we just receive. We, God has given us one another that we may receive and that we may give to one another. There are ways that God would have for ones in our church body to minister to and to walk alongside of others in our church body and to spur and to pray one another on in our growth in the faith that I cannot do and that our elders, Rick and Dave, cannot do. And so the best way for us to think about this is not to think, okay, who, what do I need from others in the church body? The best way to think about this would be to maybe begin to start to pursue and pray that God would give us an attitude of God how may I be a blessing to those in my faith family that I may help them to grow in the faith and let's resolve that we will try to continue to grow up in this building up of the ministry have you ever considered that according to Paul here that all of us who are in Christ and all of us who are in the church we are ministers together 
You're called to the ministry. We're called to the ministry. We're called to this beautiful divine work of growing together in the faith and of helping one another as we mature. And look at this. And, and how do we serve and what do we walk, walk towards and where, where's the finish line that we cross? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Pause here. We're growing until we get to Christ. It never ends. It never ends, and we are just kind of growing more and more and more mature in the faith. And our goal is to help one another to see Christ. Help one another to experience and to know and to feel the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that is best felt through a warm smile, through a sympathetic ear, through a loving heart, through a peaceful spirit, through a patient mind, through gentle forbearance. Seeking to meet others with the love of Christ that we would hope to be met with ourselves. And so let's consider that attitude towards one another in our worship, in our growth groups together in the faith. How might I help others to grow in the faith? And then, as we grow in this, to, to reach this maturity, to reach the, reach the stature of the fullness of Christ, he says in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, so that we may not be led astray by, by that which the enemy would seek to lead us astray and lead us away from Christ. And then he says in verse 15, in closing, I'm out of time, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is grow working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This imagery of the body growing together in the faith. A healthy church is not a church with a dynamic pastor, but selfish or immature church body. A healthy church is not a, 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 a wonderful church body, but with a pastor that is unwilling to help the church grow. We need these together. We need the leadership of the body, equipping the body and building them up both in, in, in knowledge and in application of God's Word together. And we need the body resolving and taking seriously the responsibility to walk alongside of others in the faith. Maybe make it a regular practice of yours that you're going to, once a week, reach out to a church member and give them a phone call and just ask how they're doing and ask how you can pray for them. Or like I said last week, you say, I'm going I'm to intentionally linger around after services and try to talk to people and just see how they're doing. See if there's any way I can serve for their heart, for their joy in the faith. And help them as they walk along this pathway. And brothers and sisters, what I have found is the things that, we, that, that you might say, I wish our church did this better, or I wish our church did this better. The best way that we start to grow in those things is not by wishing other people would do it to us, but by us starting to do it to other people. And the hand of God will be at work in us as He works through us whom He has given new life to and He builds us up into being a city and into being a people of God, a community of believers that is far more impressive than anything that any billionaires can build out in the American West. Because it's a people who are not transformed by new architecture but are who have been made new by new hearts through Jesus Christ who is their Lord. And are steadfast and unrelenting 
in their hope in the promise of God who gives them gifts and of God who is building them up in the faith and who are willing to bear with one another, holding fast to truth, but shrouding and guarding and blanketing that truth in love whereby they are willing to be patient with one another and walk alongside of one another as we navigate whatever trials this world may bring to us. And so brothers and sisters, may we be faithful and may we be resolved to take hold of all that we have in Christ to grow towards unity and love for one another. Would you pray with me? God, we ask Your mercy upon us as Your people. We ask that You would help us to be unified in our spirit of humility and love and graciousness towards one another that is anchored in Jesus Christ and careful reflection upon and continual looking back upon that which He has accomplished for us and continual hope in that which He is doing in us and continual anticipation of that which He will accomplish and will do in His return for us one day. May we be a people who walk alongside of and take each other by the hand, bearing with one another in our weaknesses, graciously carrying one another when we are weak, and seeking to give one another the benefit of the doubt in disagreement or in, dis, in, in misunderstanding. And seeking to always point one another towards Christ in all things. And towards the welcome embrace and the love of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in His name. Amen.